Well, it is so good to be back, and I'm really grateful uh, for your prayers and uh, for your love and concern. And that there's nothing like uh, being buoyed by the prayers of the Lord's people. And we have a Saviour who is in complete control. So whatever we go through is worth it because it draws us closer to him. And we're not going to return to our series in Mark's Gospel until after the mission. Uh, the Lord has led me for these next three Sunday mornings in preparation uh, for our mission just to look at the gospel. I know we're going through the gospel in Mark, but just to take portions of scripture that focus on what Jesus Christ has done for us. I had some people asking me, Pastor, if you're only going to be preaching in one service for the next few weeks, which one is it going to be, the morning or the evening? And it's an easy answer, it's got to be the morning. Uh, because even more than teaching us in the things of God, the most important thing is the gospel. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. I wouldn't cope if there wasn't week by week a gospel being preached, not just for the unbeliever, but for myself and for us as believers. Uh, may we ever be grateful for the weekly preaching of the gospel. And the Lord has laid on my heart this morning some verses in Colossians chapter 2, which specifically talk about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So I don't know how long we're going to be. Forget about time. <laughs> it's not important. Uh, my prayer is it will lead us on to the communion where we'll be remembering uh, especially uh, what happened on Calvary. So let us read again. Uh, they're so good. They're worth repeating. Uh, verses 13 to 15 of Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 to 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven you, listen to this, all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, isn't those verses a bit like a chicken dinner? There's food there for the soul. It's not just the simple gospel. Yes, it's simple, but at the same time, it's profound. And my thrust this morning is this, and maybe it's a cliche, but cliches are sometimes very important. That's why they've become cliches. Christianity is all about Christ. Isn't that obvious? In the church in Colossae, 
these people who'd become Christians, they were being tempted uh, to uh, do all sorts of other things, get distracted with all sorts of other things, philosophies, traditions, that sounded really spiritual, but actually they were losing their focus on the one thing that's important, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, there may be some people here this morning, uh, you are thinking of Christianity still in terms of things that you have to do, maybe religious rules. Listen, my friend, they've got nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is Jesus Christ. Has Jesus Christ done something for you? It doesn't matter what we are doing. What has Jesus done for us? That's great. And if you are a Christian, can I ask as tenderly as I can, what is the essence of your Christianity? Is it just our church traditions? Or is it Jesus Christ? His word. Nothing else matters. Jesus Christ alone. So without further ado, let, let us look in the good tradition. <laughs> there are traditions that are good, as long as they don't bind us, of Welsh preaching. I've got three things to say about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it will lead, God willing, to the Lord's table. The first thing he's done is made us alive. Verse 13. You being dead in your trespasses, dead in trespasses and sins. That's why human rules don't do anything. We're spiritually dead before Jesus Christ comes into our heart. Do you know what dead means? Um, I remember in Bible college, Graham Harrison gave us this illustration of dead. He was visiting somebody in hospital, and if you've ever been to the Royal Gwent, it's a rabbit warren. And Mr. Harrison took a wrong turn, and he opened the door thinking he was going into a ward, and it wasn't a ward. It was a place where there was a dead person lying on the bed. She was a young person. She looked beautiful, but she was dead. There was no flicker of life there. A person who's very ill may have a weak pulse, but they're still alive. Dead is dead. You know, we sometimes think, don't we, that a person is more savable than another person. Do you think like that? Especially as we're coming to a mission. I remember once I was um, witnessing in the Eisteddfod, the Welsh Cultural Festival, and going around the field, as we call it, and I saw a minister... And I thought, ooh, I'll go up and give him a tract. He looks savable. Oh, no, he was angry with me because I was offering him a tract. He was dead. And then I saw a person with long hair, a man now with long hair and tattoos and uh, all sorts of other things. And I thought, I don't think he can hear the gospel. But I plucked up the courage to give him a tract, and he welcomed it. Now, he's just as dead as the minister. Dead is dead. What I'm trying to say is this. It takes a supernatural activity of God to make anybody a Christian. Even Roger Carswell, gifted evangelist though he is, and I love Roger to bits, and I'm so glad we're having him again. 
But Roger Carswell can't raise somebody from spiritual death to life. Only God using Roger can do that. And God using me this morning. We were dead. Do you remember that? You are dead spiritually this morning. Only God by his spirits can bring you to life. But look what it says. Dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Well, dear me, that's a hard word. I was visiting somebody once many years ago. And this person <laughs> said to me, Pastor, I've never understood the meaning of the word circumcision. Could you please explain it to me? And I was thinking, oh no. I said to her, Keith can do it. <laughs> He'll be good at that. And all I'm going to say about circumcision this morning is it was an Old Testament requirement. And spiritually, it means repentance. So the circumcision of the heart talks about repentance. Circumcision is painful. Repentance is painful. And when we were dead, we were unrepentant. We had uncircumcised hearts, hard hearts. And the first sign of being made alive spiritually is that we've got soft hearts. We're beginning now to question life. We're beginning uh, to be afraid of death and what comes afterwards. Man is appointed once to die and after that the judgment. Once we weren't bothered about it, but now it bothers us oh so much. Once we didn't care about sins, but now, oh, we, we've got a tender heart. That's what it means to be made alive. You know, sometimes when we hear about being born again, we think of some fantastic experience. But it's not like that, is it? Can you remember when you were born physically? I, I can't remember being born physically. I don't think anybody can. I can just remember becoming alive at some age, which I can't remember even now. Can I, can I read? Do you like looking at gravestones? Do you, do you like doing that? I, I like looking at what's on gravestones. This is one of my favorite gravestones. There was a preacher 200 years ago called John Berridge. I don't know if you've heard of him. It doesn't matter. If you visit his grave, you'll have here these words. Here lie the earthly remains of John Berridge, uh, late vicar of Everton, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, reader, are you born again? Well, well, have you ever seen a gravestone like that? Are you born again? I was born in sin. This is a gravestone now. He being dead yet speaks. I was born in sin, February 1716. Remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730. Lived proudly on faith and works, rules that is, for salvation, till 1754. Was made a vicar. He was a vicar and he wasn't born again, like the man I gave the tract to in the East Edward. 1751. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge. Isn't that lovely? Fled to Jesus alone for shelter. 1756. Fell asleep in Christ. 1793. You can't make yourself born again. But you're to believe in Jesus Christ. That's how you know you're born again. Do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know, when I... Uh, was made a member of my first evangelical church. I thought evangelicals were all these wonderful people 
with no faults. Well, when I joined my first evangelical church, there was an elderly lady there who, you know, she was a grumpy old lady, if I can put it like that. And I used to think sometimes, how can this lady be born again? How can she be a real Christian? And you know what people said to me? You should have remembered what she was like before she was saved. That's it. Some people are nice by temperament. That doesn't mean they are born again. What we once were, praise be to God, we're not that. We may be a long way in terms of becoming more Christ-like, but what we once were, we're not that. Are you born again? Maybe you're worried about spectacular signs. That's not the sign. It's, is there spiritual pulse in you? Even if it's weak, is there something? I think I've said this um, on another occasion. Douglas Macmillan or Willie Still, a Scottish pastor, uh, both have died now, and they were interviewing two teenage boys. I've got nothing against you teenage boys, but you know what teenage boys are like. Um, usually a gruff uh, answer. So this is an elderly pastor interviewing two teenage boys who wanted to become members. And they weren't forthcoming, being teenage boys. And you know what one of them said? He didn't have much theology, but this is what it means to be born again. He said, Pastor, it's like this. A few months ago, your preaching started to become interesting. <laughs> now, I don't think the pastor's preaching had suddenly changed. What had changed was the reaction of those boys. They were becoming circumcised in their hearts now. Can you see what it is to be born again? At one time, I hated going to chapel. I wanted the sermon to come to an end. But when I was born again, and I can't remember when I was born again, but one of the signs of life was this. Now I loved hearing the word of God. I couldn't get enough of it. Now, I'm not like that now. I still love hearing the word of God, but it's more of a struggle now, isn't it? It's part of growing up. But when everything is fresh, oh, you can't get enough. Oh, my friend, have you been born again? Is there something in you, even if you're not saying it out loud, that says amen to what I'm saying? Look at what Paul says. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of flesh, he has made alive together with him. It's in Christ, believing in Christ, connected to Christ. Uh, what did the Apostle Paul say on another occasion? He was trying to describe himself as a Christian. And even a giant intellect like Paul couldn't get his head around it. This is what he said. I have been crucified with Christ, yet not I. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He doesn't understand it. Is that you? You look back at your Christian life. I don't know how long you've been saved for. Maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. And you're looking back and you're saying to yourself, yet not I. It can't be explained in terms of me. It's got to be the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's being born of the Spirit, carried along by the Spirit. If it wasn't for the Spirit, I would have given up years ago. But... I am what I am because Christ has made me alive, being born again. We're miracles of grace here this morning. Praise be his name. You know, I was in Moldova 
a week ago, taking Carwin and Galena's wedding. That was a joy. And I don't know if I should put it like this, but it wasn't just seeing Carwin and Galena getting married. It was seeing the men and women living in the different houses in Moldova. It best felt and felt. They've been saved. And to see them shining for Jesus Christ. To see how they've been transformed. You know the hymn says, change from glory into glory. I think that happens in this world, not just in heaven. They were shining. They were beaming. You know what it's like to beam? They were beaming. And I was moved. I was moved to the depths of my being. That's Christianity. That's not religion. That's Christianity. Now I've got to hurry up. Uh, the second point. He's made us alive. What else has he done? He's removed everything that stood against us. Very famous words. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What does that refer to? It refers to the law of God. There are rules, my friends. The Bible isn't against rules. It's against human rules. But the Bible has got rules. It's got commandments. And they are called the Ten Commandments, the summary of what is well-pleasing to God. Now, people's problem is this. They try to keep those commandments in order to be saved. But we're dead. We can't do it. And the problem is we've broken those commandments. And there's a handwriting against us. Do you know what that means? A handwriting against you. Have you received something in writing against you? I remember the first time I was in Bible college, I was so proud. I thought, I am the bee's knees now that I'm in Bible college. And my bubble of pride was burst when I received my first essay back. And you may be able to guess who the person marking the essay was. There was one page full of comments. Have you ever had an essay with one page full of comments? And not one of them was positive. The handwriting was against me. But that was just the marks of a lecturer. That wasn't legally against me. What Paul is talking about here is something legally in God's courts that's against you, a record against you. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. If you've got a speeding fine, you'll have, is it handwriting? Uh, these might be my famous last words. I've never had a speeding fine. <laughs> but you've got points against you. It's something in writing. There's a record. And it comes spiritually to something much worse. There's a record against us. And we don't think of it like that until we are born again and convicted of sin. But there's a record against us. Every time we break the commandments of God, there's a black mark against us. And we think that we can sin and get away with it, don't we? Think before the financial crisis of 2008. People thought that they could take out loans and do all sorts of things with money and get away with it. But they couldn't. There's a day of reckoning coming. The bubble burst. And it's a bit like that with this handwriting that's against us. We may think, ah, people can get away with it now. There's no sign of God's judgment now. Those who are not Christians, they seem to be enjoying themselves. They seem to be successful. But my friends, there's a day of reckoning. One day, God the judge 
will condemn. And do you know what the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is? He's taken that handwriting that's against us and he's blotted it out. I, uh, this is why I love the gospel. You know, I've missed not being able to do this. To tell people from a pulpit that you don't have to blot out the handwriting that's against you. It would require an eternity in hell to pay the penalty because we've sinned against an infinite God. Go to Jesus Christ because he has blotted out our sins like a thick cloud. Um, do you remember the children's talk with invisible ink? It's, it's like he has used the invisible ink of his blood. There is the ink of God's law and it seems indelible. It seems as if it can't be deleted because it's written by the finger of God. But then God does something like those buttons. God extends his arm of mercy. God becomes a man. Oh, God goes to the cross, the God-man. And what does he do? Oh, he's kept the law. There's no record against him. And what he does, and he's infinite, is he becomes our substitute and he pays the debts you are debt and mine too great for us by his own blood and that blood wipes clean like invisible ink the handwriting that's against us isn't it brilliant can I say that this gospel you know one of the most wonderful experiences I had in India was standing by the Hooghly River in Calcutta where a certain Krishna Pal was baptised, William Carey's first convert, and singing these words. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Listen to this. Jesus for thee, a body takes, God becoming one of us, thy guilt assumes... Thy fetters breaks, the chains breaking, discharging all thy dreadful debts. Canst thou ere such love forgets? And do you know what else he's done? I've got to hurry through these verses. He's not just wiped out the handwriting that was against us. He's taken it out of the way. What is that? He's taken the very document that the record was written in. He's removed the document. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's like, I don't know, I'm trying to imagine things that are beyond words here. Uh, whatever you do online leaves a trace. It doesn't matter how much you delete uh, your search history. It leaves a trace. But what Christ has done on the cross is remove even the trace it's like uh, when you've written something down and even if you used invisible ink or something, it still leaves a mark, doesn't it? It still leaves a trace. But what Jesus Christ has done is removed the document, he's removed the trace. So if you try to find the sins of those who trust in Jesus Christ, they can't be found nowhere in the world, nowhere in this earth, nowhere in the solar system, nowhere in the Milky Way, nowhere in the universe can those sins ever be found. Why do we bring them back up? Why do we let other people remind us of them? They're gone. 
they're gone. There is no more condemnation. I, I remember, um, if it's all right for me to say, Cain, when your illustration about the bills being paid, when Cain and Swan grew up, and they don't do this anymore, do they? Everything is done online. But if a bill was paid, uh, I'm thinking of the words, having nailed it to the cross. Do you know what was done? The bill was put through a nail to show publicly it's been paid. Jesus on the cross had our sins, the bill, nailed. You know, this refers to the Roman practice, which was done to our Saviour, of putting over their heads, when they were on the cross, the sins they're being condemned for. And that's what you do when you believe in Jesus Christ. What do you do? You nail your sins on him. You know, the, the problem with us, as Christians now, not just as unbelievers, we remind ourselves of what we've done wrong. We look at our sins and we get bogged down by them. My friend, you've got to nail them to the cross. It's not just Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, but it's my sin. Think of the things you've done wrong this morning so far. And don't just think about them as being condemning you, but as nailed to that cross. That was put on Jesus. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. And then, very quickly, thirdly, he's being victorious over our enemies. He's disarmed principalities. That refers to evil angels and powers. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. There's a saying. Um, I've got to get it right. I've written it down. Victory from the jaws of defeat. Didn't it look as if the enemy had won when the spotless Son of God hung on that cross? Oh, no. The moment Satan thought he'd won, God's Son had snatched the victory. Um, uh, I don't like reading the words of commentators, uh, but this is good. Lightfoot said, The paradox of the crucifixion is placed in the strongest light, triumph in helplessness, and glory in shame. The convict gibbet, where a person is hung on, is the victor's car, the vehicle, uh, triumphant. Uh, the Romans, if a Roman general conquered a people, he would return to Rome with a victory parade. You, you can read about them in the history books. And part of the victory parade included all the spoils of war. So all the people that had been caught, they're all paraded as those who have been defeated. And sometimes on the chariots, uh, maybe a commander who had been defeated would be impaled on the front of the chariot. It's all wonderfully gory stuff, isn't it? <laughs> That's the triumphal train, the car of triumph. Now, that's what happened after Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead and he ascended back to heaven. And it was like a triumphal procession. He showed all the principalities and powers that he had become victorious over. And he's doing that today. Anybody that's saved 
is like a proof of Jesus' victory over the devil. Maybe we're not used to a triumphal procession like that. (laughs) But even a non-sportsman like me uh, will know that when our victorious rugby team returns or our victorious football team returns, what happens? Don't they... Don't they have a double-decker bus? And don't they parade the... um, What is it they win? Is it a cup that they win? You'll have to help me here. It's a cup, isn't it? They parade that along the streets of Cardiff. It's all in Christ. You know, even I can say, after Wales have won... I don't say Wales won. Do you know what I say? We won. Do you say that? We, now, I didn't play, did I? We, 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 <laughs> we definitely wouldn't have won. But still, we won. Because my immortal saviour lives, my immortal life is sure. Wonderful. We won in Christ. The cross, we're going to come to it. Christianity's got nothing to do with religion. It's got nothing to do with tradition, with rules. It's all to do with God's word revealing Jesus Christ as our only saviour. What Jesus did, especially on the cross, is what saves And in the end, all we can do is cast ourselves on Jesus Christ. That's what I learned the last few months. All I had was Jesus Christ. That's all you've got as a Christian. In the end, it's Jesus and you. And if you're not a Christian, you haven't got Jesus yet. And I'm just pleading with you. Just come. Don't try to save yourself. Don't try to make yourself good enough. Just come. And cast yourself on Jesus Christ. Can you do that? You don't have to wait for Roger Carswell. (laughs) You can do it even now. And if you are a believer, can you do it again? Don't you love feeling you're being saved all over again? I am trusting the Lord Jesus. Trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. And we're not going to be looking at what other people think. We're going to be focusing on Jesus Christ, what he thinks.